Vibe scores! Rick Vibe. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Vibe. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 80 of the Squid and Ultimate Leafs fan show. Geez, 80 shows, Squid. My goodness. I'm Mike Wilson, <laughs> Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, first off, having played in Buffalo, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, that absolute classic of a game last night. Un- unbelievable. Uh, I mean, both quarterbacks were fabulous and uh, exciting, really exciting. And uh, But I just wish that they changed the rules and played an entire quarter I said, okay, if the team's leading at the end of the quarter, the game's over. If not, we play one more quarter instead of just first team that scores wins. I I didn't like that. Nope. And well, actually, our guest today is actually in that world a little bit. So maybe we can get an opinion out of his thoughts too. But he went undrafted. But after winning the Memorial Cup with the Ottawa 67s in 1984, signed as a free agent with the Chicago Blackhawks, enjoyed his six-year pro career. You guys actually played together a little bit. Uh, is today widely recognized as one of the voices across the hockey media world. I think he's been with every network and across. So I'm sure anybody who's watched talking knows this guy. So we want to welcome Darren Pang. Pang, your first thought. Thanks for joining us today and how you doing? Looks like there's no rest for the wicked. I'm doing great. And uh, I'm glad we could uh, finally put this together. Uh, you know, anytime Squid asks a, a question, I, have, I haven't seen Squid in a little bit of time. And, um, you know, um, I mean, when we go to Toronto and I see in the hallway squid, it's always it's always special for me whenever I see former teammates. And I'm glad you're doing well here with this and um, your book's going well. So things are going well for old. I, I remember the day that we made that trade in 1987 in training camp. And it was a special time for me because I was finally knocking on the door legitimately to make this make the Chicago Blackhawks after three years in the minors. And this was my fourth year. And. Bob Polford sat us at this big table and said, uh, well, you just made a big trade. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we know that uh, as the years have gone on, gone by, Eddie Olchek's actually still a longtime friend of mine and we're in the broadcast business and working with TNT together. And, uh, you know, we lost obviously Ed, Edzo and we lost uh, Rocky um, in that trade, um, Al Secord. But man, I gained some great friends. Boy, uh, you know, Steve Thomas is still a, a buddy of mine that I play a lot of golf with and hang out with and seeing Squid and then Big Daddy Bob McGill as well. So uh, it's funny how things work. And now here I am on, on Squid's podcast and uh, and talking hockey like the old days, which I love more than anything else. Squid? Yeah, no, it's great to see you, Banger. And uh, it's been quite some time. Um, yeah, it's great. I... But I do recall going to Chicago that year, and that was your first year uh, with the team. They signed another goaltender as a free agent in the offseason, Bob Mason, who was with, with the Washington Capitals. Now, I do recall that he didn't play very well at the start of the season and got booed a lot at the stadium. So there was a guy, yourself, who got to play pretty much most of the home games. <laughs> yeah. I was a homer. 
<laughs> I didn't mean it that way. I meant they couldn't play him because he got booed so much that they had to play you. And of course, you had a you had a good year that year, and uh, played pretty good at at home. The fans adored you, obviously. And uh, I, I, you know what? That was one of the best years I've had in in, in the NHL. That that was a lot of fun. Except no, negotiating your contract. Yeah, I I, well, that I was, can't believe how that quickly was after ended. The, yeah, that was after the season. It's funny because Bob Pulford, I got forty. I scored forty three goals that year. Uh, yeah. Bob Pulford offered me a forty thousand dollar discount <laughs> <laughs> from what I was making, and it went all summer long. And then finally, we had an arbitration date set. And Bill Waters, who was my agent, was talking to Pulley, and Pulley goes, uh, Bill, you know what's going to happen uh, <clears throat> uh, if he goes to arbitrate. Bill said, yeah, I know you're going to trade him. That's fine. And then two days later, I got a raise. It was, it, it was ridiculous. It was, why did it have to go all summer? <laughs> and how many years did you end up that getting was- with that raise? Was it one year? Uh, no, I got a three-year deal, and uh, but then of course Mike Keenan came in the next year, and uh, I guess I wasn't good enough to play for Mike. And the day after Christmas, off the Buffalo, and uh, you know, it was luckily my wife uh, was a strong individual. She was pregnant. We had a two-year-old. She had to do everything, get the movers. She had a lot of help from Savvy uh, and and Mona who lived in our neighborhood and uh, uh but but by and large she had to do a lot of it herself and then i didn't see them until february 4th so uh those were the tough parts of, of playing in the nhl when those things happened yep that's sure I, I, well panger I, we want to um uh talk about first off as i, I was jokingly saying at the beginning but as you've been around for a while now in the, in the media side Maybe for the listeners, just let them know what your schedule is these days because you're all over the place. They don't really get the TNT broadcast in Canada, so I know you're a part of that. Uh, and while I got you, let's go one step further with that. The TNT production, I do get to watch when I'm in Florida here uh, at times. You guys are doing a great job. Why do you think you guys are pushing the right button? You seem to be pushing all the right buttons. Why do you think that is right now? I think it's the TNT family. Um, I think that was one of the... You know, one of the big reasons why I ended up signing with with TNT, um, um, I, I thought that actually that I would I was going to sign a deal with ESPN, and and we we spoke for a little bit of time, but it it was something about maybe the small family TNT. Um, you know, games are only every Wednesday night. We, you know, there's two teams. I think there's going to be some great familiarity with fans. Um, yep. not not like hockey night in Canada familiarity, but maybe more like the old days when I was working at TSN in Canada, where you knew that every Wednesday night it was the TSN. It was the na- Wednesday night. It was the National Game of Canada. Um, I was lucky enough to be on the panel for several years on that, and I, I really enjoyed that part of it. And I think fans did too because they knew exactly when it was on. Well, you know, ESPN is going to do a great job in in the U.S. and, and they're going to have a different niche than I think we are. But but TNT, the, the group on the first of all, when you've got Wayne Gretzky on the panel, you know, yeah. then you've got uh, we've never had that in our sport where we've had you know, the, the greatest that, that really is having fun. And 
he doesn't have to break down X's and O's and he doesn't have to say something bad about somebody. That's not Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky just has to be himself and go out there. And then he's got the levity of, of, of Bissonette. And then he's got you know, Anson Carter's a, a really experienced TV guy. Um, and so I think, all, you know, and Rick Tockett is obviously a guy that he'll probably get back in coaching at one point. But right now, I think he's having the time of his life. So all in all, the schedule is busy. It's every Wednesday. Like the, tomorrow, I'm going to travel uh, in the morning to go to Colorado. I've got Colo- a great game tomorrow. Night. I've got Boston and Colorado. Um, I love being between the benches. I'm not always between the benches for TNT. But as you can see on this shot, that was a game in Buffalo. And Rob Ray and I share a little spot right there. Um, but all my home games, I'm between the benches with the St. Louis Blues, and I love it. You know what, Squid? There's nothing like being there. Um, yeah, you're not coaching. Yeah, you're not playing. But, man, you, you really do appreciate the skill and the speed of the game. A flat saucer pass from board to board. That upstairs, you'd be watching the game and go, well, yeah, of course they do that. But now you, you watch the neutral zone positioning and how many sticks I get over, and it's like the littlest things impress me still to this day. And so I, I like that about it. Um, but anyway, the, the, again, going back to it, TNT and the Blues, I do it for Bally Sports. West. Um, I've got a game tonight uh, in Calgary. I've got a game. I had a game last night. It was in Vancouver, but we're doing it from the studio here for now. And uh, two nights before that, the team was in Seattle. So we've been pretty busy and uh, it's not going to get any easier. But I just I, I absolutely just love it. And I love the interaction with the players. And um, I like the fact that the players trust me. And I think that. I think that more than anything else says a lot about being around for over 30 years is that, you know, that I'm not going to uh, never sell them out, um, never throw anybody under the bus, but just call hockey what hockey is. And I think I'm pretty honest that way. Hanger, can you, can you kind of explain to me and, and probably the people that, like, for me, it seems like if you look across around the NHL, a lot of the color guys are goaltenders. Like, I don't know whether it's because they always saw the, the whole game in front of them and, you know, saw things that, that other players wouldn't see, or is there any particular reason why a lot of them are goaltenders? Yeah, because, Squid, you, you goal scorers made all the money, and all of us plugs that were goalies <laughs> made no money. And, and so look at look at the guys that look at the – well, actually, I'm sure Kelly Rudy made, made some money, but – Daryl Ray was, you know, a similar position than me. Um, I mean, Glenn Healy had a great career as a broadcaster. I actually, I loved Heels as a broadcaster. I thought he was funny yeah. and witty and sarcastic. And um, I actually missed that on the air. Um, you know, Brian Hayward. I said Daryl Ray. Um, he'll, who else? Oh, we've got a lot Brian of goals. You're right, you know what? You're right about that. I tell you what, maybe this squid yeah. is that, and, and more so back when, when I was playing with you, I remember, how, how close we were on the bench. I mean, the backup goalie stood on the bench with a towel on his head. And sometimes there was only a coach that ran the forwards. Maybe a coach ran the D, but there wasn't four coaches there. So you had room for the, yeah. for the goalie coach. I remember, Squid, I remember in 1989 um, in the playoffs against Calgary, game two. And I was, Al Chevrolet took over the net. So I'm backing up. And I mean, I'm so close to the action that I felt like, you know, you're talking to the D or you're, or you're talking to the forwards and saying the goalie's cheating on this. I'm like, you're right there. And I remember one time, like Keenan, Mike Keenan kind of packed things in and we had too many men on the ice. And 
you're, it's so intense and it's so good being so close to it that I went over to him and I said, don't quit on these guys. You know, I, I used a lot of foul, like, don't you quit on these guys. You're quitting on these guys, you know, don't do that. And, you know, and, and I, I just remember how intense it was and how fun it was. Um, and it's different now. The goalies don't have that ability now. They're, they're tucked off. Sometimes they're not even on the bench because there's not enough room on the bench for them. Yeah. So I, I, I'm glad I was in that era. And I think that's one of the reasons why I became an analyst. And I think, I think you do. Like if Squid said to me, hey, uh, what's Fierzy doing on this play? I mean, it happened a lot, Squid. The forwards mm-hmm. would come up. Denny Savard would always come up or Larn would always say, what are you thinking? And, you know, because they knew I studied the goalies. And, you know, you say something to them and if hopefully you scored a goal, then you then you felt confident enough to come back at me. But that I think that's probably why Squid, that uh, I think we saw a little bit more and we were we had to be backups sometimes. And then we're starters. Then we could see the play develop. And most of us were talkers. So I think talking is a good yeah. thing in TV. If you can't talk, you're, it's not a good business for you. Well, you would have to be aware of tendencies of players coming down on you, whether it's a defenseman or a forward, just to position yourself. And so you would have to be aware. And you'd have to be aware who's on the ice and who these guys were with these tendencies, whether it was left-handed or right-handed shot, switching wings, yeah. or how they were moving about. So your observation of the game would be way more intense than a regular player. And then on the bench – you're watching for those same sort of idiosyncrasies, if you will, for when you go back in the net. So it does make a lot of sense. But what I want to touch on just briefly is also the fact that you hey, guys. Before you go there, before sure. you go there, Mike, I'm yeah. just going to throw one thing out there. The other day, I was with four players on the Blues and yeah. we were hot stoven. And they were asking me about, about you know, what you know, what strengths you have or, you know, when I was playing goal. And I said, yeah. I do every single curve, tape, stick make. And go. right shot or left hand shot. And they said, no way. And I said, uh, let's go through players in the NHL right now. And I whipped through players. And there's like, mm, left hand shot? Like, no, he's a right hand shot. This guy, this. And I whipped through it all, didn't get one wrong. And the boys were like, whoa. <laughs> like, so yes, you're right. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, when Rick Five in practice was coming down the right yep. side, my left side, and he had that the damn Gordie Howe black tape on that white Titan stick. And he was going to hammer one under the bar and in on the, on the glove side. And it was going <laughs> to get off the shoulder. I had Stumpy, Dave Manson, Doug Wilson, Steve Thomas. Boy, those boys could shoot the puck. You better figure out where they're going to go rather quickly. Otherwise you're not going to, you're not going to be able to be five foot five and, and stop any of these boys. Well, what I wanted, what that I mean, that's very, very true. And obviously you did very well at that. Uh, where I wanted to go with that, just leading into that, was in today's world with the viewer having basically an, an encyclopedia data center at their fingertip, meaning their phone, the challenges that are being, and this just isn't in hockey, this is every sport, is to, like the thing I think TNT, you guys are doing so well, is that you're not overselling the game situation. Like last week as an example, the Toronto Arizona game. If it had gone according to plan, it would have been a blowout. And if, you know, and if, and if Matthews had scored a goal, it's the hometown guy scoring his goal, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, what value added is there going to come from you pointing that out? So what they do is they have Bizonet. And if you don't know Paul Bizonet, check out Spitting Chickens, folks. He's definitely worth a listen. And I think he's an up and coming star just because he's so honest and he puts himself out there. And we had him on the podcast and he was very, very funny. Um, but they had him bring his headdress that he wore at Coyote's game, so the glasses, as a backup, just in case. Well, as it turned out, the game went the other way. So now the narrative changes. So now what you guys have to say is relevant. And then the boys did throw their pieces out. So when you're analy- when you're preparing for a game, do you guys 
talk about those type of things just in case to make yourself more, you know, sort of value added, if you will? Um, yeah, I, I think I, I learned from one of the best. I think John Davidson was the best analyst that we've ever had in hockey. And, and he was kind of a, a real role model for me. And so I, I basically another, another goalie. Another goalie. Another goalie, you know, another goalie. Another goalie. <laughs> I became a president and is making millions of fish nagels since then. Um, love JD, but you know, JD, you know, it told me early on that don't come to the game with a briefcase is how he put it. Don't come to the game with a briefcase with all the answers. The game's going to start and then it's going to change. And, and everything you've got in that briefcase, everything you've got in your notes, everything that you've got, the, the producer's got and this guy, don't start jamming that stuff in. The game's got a different flow. And if it's got a different flow, then that's what, you're, that's what your job is. You're an analyst. Tell the people why it's got a different flow. Tell them why Toronto couldn't beat Arizona that particular game. What happened in that game? What are they doing better? What are they not doing better? And, and a lot of times we end up as broadcasters really overdoing it, especially on national TV, overselling the stars. And, and, and that's fine. And it's great to get into the game, promote the game. But sometimes the stars aren't the stars of the game. And I'm I'm as much in favor of a, a fourth-line grinder and a guy that spent seven years in the minors. I'll make that a bigger story than a superstar that's just not – he's not pulling his weight. He, you know, he's he's checked out of the game, which, you know, that's no fun for anybody. But the more you show that, the more people go, man, that guy's a bit of a dog right now. You know, instead of showing that guy being a dog, let's show the guys that's, that are working their asses off and really – really trying and really winning their team over. Maybe there was a fight, maybe there was a hit, you know, maybe there's, so anyway, that's, that's kind of what it is. Like I'm, I sit here all day. Here's I, my, my game sheets are pretty, I mean, they're, you know, for every single game I've got, I'm, I'm basically it's all my own stuff. I do all my own, my own preparation. I, I've, I've got notes from different analytics companies. I, I try to package them together. I figure out what I care about, what I don't care about. If something's too complicated for me, then there's no way I could say it on the air. So I don't really go into that. But, you know, I'm doing uh, Calgary tonight. So Goudreau, Lindholm, and Kachuk line. In the NHL, they've scored the most amount of goals. They had the most amount of chances. They've had the most amount of shots. They've had the most amount of slot shots. So they're not just on the outside. They've had the most inner slot shots. So, I mean, to give you an example, going into this game, you know, what are the things Blues going to be worried about? Well, that's it right there. And if they can nullify that line, then what's after that? What's the next layer that they have to defend against? So I like to think that I go into a game prepared for anything that's going to happen. And if the game is bad, it's really great to have a lot of stories and pictures and family stuff. And that that's great because it takes your mind off of how crappy the game might be. So you still have to entertain. <laughs> you have to keep the eyeballs watching the game as much as possible. Script. So, Panger, I want to bring you back to your uh, your playing days, uh, in particular your first year. Mm-hmm. We were in Hartford, and we, we had a little oh. rookie party. Yes, Do you want to take us through that rookie party and what happened at that rookie party? <laughs> I remember it very well. We were at uh, a place called the Russian Lady, I think. Is that right? The Russian lady. Bar. Yeah, I think it might have been. And I believe that uh, I believe the Minnesota Twins were winning the World Series. How was that at the time? Uh-huh. Yeah, and well, that's pretty good. So we were told before then, I, I was told just earlier than that to get a place, which was really cool, by the way. I was at that Bismarck Hotel forever. And 
Um, I just married Lynn. She's like, when are we getting out of this hotel? I said, I can't until Bob Pope gets it, gives us the word. Got the word. We go into Hartford. We're going to have a rookie party. Brian Noonan, myself, Mike Stapleton might have been there. And we were, we, our job was to drink as much as we could possibly drink. And uh, uh, Brian Noonan was having a bit of a difficult time, Squid. And I remember one time the guys tried to throw some shots towards him. And in those shots were cigarette butts and chew and a bunch of stuff that I didn't know about. And I went to grab it because Brian Noonan was like this. So I thought, I'm going to be the good team guy. I'm going to grab this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink this for Noons. I'll, I got your back, Noons. And I chugged it back. And it was all of that stuff and more. It was shots and cigarette butts and chew. And I just went, oh. <laughs> It was the worst <laughs> ever. The worst ever, but you know what? It was it was a lot of fun, and Noons always remembers that I took one for I took one for him as well. So that's probably what you were talking about, us. Huh, it had to be the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I never saw anybody run to the bathroom so quick in my life, and uh... <laughs> you, you never saw me play lacrosse. You know I could run. <laughs> <laughs> we we just we we had a great bunch of guys on that team that year. I recall we we had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we, we, we didn't have a fantastic year, but we had a good year. Uh, but all the guys were fantastic, and I, I really enjoyed it. Well, I was going to say before. I thought we should have been a better team. You know that? <laughs> I thought we should have been a better yeah. team. We were, you know, like it's I like. I think we should have been, Troy, yeah. Troy Murray scored in overtime. Was that the year that Troy Murray scored? No, no, that was the year that we gave. I get, well, I, we, we gave up a goal to New Jersey. In the last game of the year, they had to win. Otherwise, they don't get in the playoffs. They beat us in overtime. John McClain scored on at home. But we were already playing St. Louis to start it anyway. So it, it didn't matter. But that was a big moment for the NHL and for, um, for uh, I think it was Lou Lamorello's first year as the general manager. And uh, anyway, so we were probably too comfortable going into the playoffs. You know, it was, it was kind of set back then in that old Norris division. And. There we were playing yeah. St. Louis again. I, I didn't play good enough, Squid. Had to beat them. Well, to this day. Let's, talk about how, let's talk about how you got there. So let's go back. You were born in Meaford, Ontario, by the way. That's in Canada, mm -hmm. folks. Uh, most of your hockey Do you know where that is, Ottawa. Squid? Meaford? Uh, I know where it is. No, I don't. Is it near <laughs> on the Georgia, Just on no. south of the Georgian Bay. And it's uh, right near Owen Sound. Oh, okay. Wow. So Collingwood Way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A little bit. A little bit more east. That. A little bit more yeah. west. Sorry. A little bit more west. west. There was the uh, uh, the army base was there. That's when my dad was in the army. So that's why we were there for when I was born. So oh, okay. played most of your hockey in the Ottawa region. Yeah. Talk about that, and talk about playing with the young Steve Eiserman, and maybe was he showing signs of being the Steve Eiserman that we come to know and love as a player later on? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, I got, I got to play with like three players when I was a kid from the age of what, six as a Nepean Raider tyke, uh, Doug Smith was on my team and he was the yep. second overall pick to LA the next year. And several years after that, I played with Danny Quinn and I think he was 13th overall. And then when I was in uh, uh midget, um, we recalled Steve from the Bantam uh, team. He was in the Loblaws cup and we were in the air Canada cup. And uh, and so we we recalled this 14 year old Steve Eiserman to uh, to Cornwall for the Air Canada Cup, 
and uh, he was unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was a mixture of, I always say this to him, he was a mixture of Denny Savard himself. He could, he was, he could defend like Trottier. He was strong on his stick. He just, I don't know, he was special. So the next year, we ended up being protected by the tier two Nepean Raiders. So we both played as underagers. And that year he was, it wasn't even close. I, I couldn't believe that there was a player that was going to go higher than him in the Ontario Hockey League draft. He ended up going fourth overall. It was a steal by Peter Rowe. Yeah, I saw everything in him. I, I, I mean, he, he had such composure too, and he had such maturity. At, at, he's younger than me by a year. You'd never know that with us growing up. <laughs> I didn't quite um, exhibit all the maturity levels that he did. Um, he was quiet. He laughed. He had a great sense of humor. I just kept the energy to running and and uh, and we we've, we've been friends for over forty years and we've never had a fight. It's 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 been an amazing run. But one game in tier two, so we're playing this game and I give up just a horrendous goal. And he comes he comes back, taps me on the pads, and I'm not sure if you noticed, but players nowadays do not tap the goalie on the pad ever. It just drives me crazy. Do you know how much that means to us when we just need a little pat on the back? And he come back. Yep. And he passed on the pads and he goes, uh, I'm going to, he says, I'll get that one back, but then let's pick it up. And I, yeah. he took the face off, won the face off, danced a couple players, scores a goal, ties the game up, comes right back to me, pats me on the pads and say, and he basically says, let's have to go. We need you right now. And that was it. And we won the game. And I'm like, it's 15 years old. There's scouts all over the place. Every college wanted him. Every everybody wanted this guy, and that's that's the stuff that they didn't see. Just how how, how he was, and uh, incredible, incredible person. And you know, Squid. I mean, you you played against him in your career. He's he, he's wasn't the biggest guy, but he played hard and he played competitively. And he could be dirty and nasty too. And he, you know, overall, he's just a unbelievable player, and a better person. Yeah, I. Uh, it's kind of funny too because my. Uh, my youngest son uh, became a Red Wing fan uh, because of Steve Eiserman. He was his favorite player when he was a kid. And here we, here I'm playing with all these NHL teams, and he falls in love with Steve Eiserman and becomes a Red Wing fan. <laughs> what the hell's going on? <laughs> he wasn't alone. But, but you know what? I, I don't blame him because Steve Eiserman was probably one of the best players in the league for many, many years. And uh, it, certainly in the top 10, anyway, players in the league for quite a few years. Yeah, he, uh, he, definitely, but, he definitely got overshadowed by a, a few great centermen <laughs> during the time, or three yeah. great centermen. And then you could throw in Howard Chuck was in that mix. And, uh, you know, yeah. he obviously had Messier, Grasky, Lemieux, Ronnie Francis. I mean, God, that, what, a, what an era of great centermen that was there. Oh, absolutely. Savvy. Now, talk Savvy about, was uh, pretty dynamic. Now, you, see, you started out yeah. playing in Belleville, then ended up in Ottawa, winning the Memorial Cup in 84. Take us through mm -hmm. that whole period. And maybe actually just as a precursor to all that, how did you end up in goal, by the way? Um, my dad stuck me there. He was a goalie in high school, and he was a good athlete. He was a ball player, and typically he was a softball player. That is a beautiful picture that you're putting up there right now. That is a really good one. Good hairdo. <laughs> um, That's Glenn. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was the so what happened was so dad, you know, talked me into being a goalie, and I I could really catch, like I would I could really catch. Um, my dad would pitch to me when I was really really young, and and he I think he was just 
kind of surprised how at a young age I could catch anything. I had really quick hands and yeah. I was a good lacrosse player. So I wanted to be a forward. I scored a lot of goals being a forward in hockey and I, I never wanted to be a goalie, but I think like anything else, I ended up being a good goalie in a small town and, you know, you, you represent your team. Mine was the Nepean Raiders and I, there was no way for me to get out of it basically is what it was. It would have been yeah. a real leap of faith for me to stop being the top goalie in Ottawa and become a forward. So I just ate it the whole way. And um, that draft. Would have been a great story, was, though. Yeah. It would have been. It would have been a great story. Great, yeah. <laughs> well, now, nowadays, a guy my size could probably be forward in the NHL. But back then, there's not a chance in the world. Um, now, see, when I was playing, the goalies were small and the defensemen were big. Now the defensemen are small and the goalies are big. I can't figure it out. But. Uh, uh, that, that picture with Belleville, I was the first goalie taken by the Belleville Blizzard expansion team. So that same draft of Eisman going to Peterborough fourth overall, I went to uh, the Belleville Bulls. You see Marty McSorley up in the top left. Danny was our first pick. He's in the middle. Uh, ben Kelly, Scotty Gardner. Um, boy, we had a we had a anyway we had a we had a rock'em sock'em tough team. We'd fight anybody. Uh, Bill Kitchen, uh, um, Billy K actually Kitchener, Kitchener. Anyway, we had anyway. So anyway, long story short, uh, get drafted there to Belleville. Larry Mavity um, and I hit it off right away. We're things going well, and then we really fell apart after the new year, and we became an expansion team. We were surprising a lot of teams. We fought a lot of teams. I got the crap kicked out of me a couple of times in the warm-ups. It was a tough one there, and yeah, that, that would be me getting getting. The, that was Darren Kotar of the Niagara Falls Flyers, and he beat me up so bad. I was 124 pounds, I think I was, 126 pounds, and he ragdolled me because I went in to try to join a fight, and I had a head the size of a watermelon after that. Um, but the, 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 next, the next year, we started it out, and I was um, um, squid Gretz bought the team. So we start training camp the next year, and even though I ended kind of poorly and, and I was in a bad spot that first year, I came to camp, I had a new attitude, I was – I was charged up, I was stronger, I was ready to go, and we start the season off really well, and Gretz is there for training camp, and he's skating with us, and we're, we're like, this is unbelievable. We're, we're going to have a great year. November comes around, I play a game in Sudbury. Larry Mavity's our coach, and Sudbury rinks squid. You remember, It's a long walk from the rink to the locker room, and I'm walking, and I gave up seven. I remember Jeff Brown scored three on me because he never lets me forget oh, it. Oh, boy. And I... I'm walking and I'm walking down and Larry Mavity gets ahead of me. And all he says is he used to call me short ass and he had a great voice. So he go, short ass. That's your last effing game. You're ever going to play for me. That's it. You're <laughs> effing done. And so I haven't even walked. I haven't got there yet. I'm like, Oh man. And I knew it. I, it was just, I had no, I don't know what happened. I just, a lot. I've never lost confidence in my life. I lost confidence there and I couldn't stop a puck next day. I get traded. Larry Mavity brings me to his house. He's got the phone right there. And he literally says, I just traded you short ass. Where do you want to go? The Windsor Spitfires. And they were awful. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It would have ruined me. It would have ruined me. Not for the city, not for the team. It just would have ruined me. I would have been a disaster. My mom was, you know, kind of raised me after my parents got divorced. She was in Ottawa. She was, you know, living alone, like single or whatever. My brother was there. And he goes, we're Ottawa. He had this dramatic pause, Windsor or Ottawa. I'm like, Ottawa, Ottawa, Ottawa would be great. And he goes, I traded you to effing Ottawa. Don't worry, kid. 
And so he gets me on the phone with Brian Kilray and Killer says, hey, hey, ping pong. He called me ping pong pang. He says, ping pong pang. I know you're a cocky son of a bitch, he says, but we got a game tonight in Kingston. Do you think you should play? And I said, you're darn right I should play. Killer, he goes, I knew you'd say that. You're playing tonight against uh, the Kingston Canadians. So I played that game. I was the first star, and we were off and running there. And and we end up winning the World Cup the next year. Brian Kilray's first, which makes me the most proud. Um, wow. I was going to ask you speaking about of, oh, Speaking sorry, of sorry. Sudbury, though, I, I got to go back to Sudbury because when I, I coached in Mississauga that one year. And, yeah, it was a long walk back to the dressing group. <laughs> but we were getting hammered. And Burke Templeton was coaching uh, Sudbury. And every time they score, that, that goddamn wolf would go across the, uh, the top yeah, of the building. on that wire. wire. I saw it, seven, oh, I saw it yeah. seven times that night. Yeah, well, I saw it 12 times, I think, the night I was coaching. And the referee, you know, he kept giving us ticky-tack penalties. And, and then Bert would put out his number one power play all the time. So I got really angry. And I took six, and I'm throwing them at the wire to try and cut the wire, <laughs> so that wolf can't go across anymore. I ended up getting kicked out, but uh, but it was well worth no. it. No, <laughs> that's a shocker. Now, um, you know, Penger, I wanted to ask you, Brian Kilroy, what kind of influence did he have on you as a player and a person, and what made him so special, especially to last as long as he did? Uh, he was an amazing human being, an amazing coach. The ability to pick somebody up when you're lacking confidence, knock you down when you're too full of it and cocky. Um, <laughs> Squid, he would have been good for you too. <laughs> well, I I got to meet him uh, many times uh, over the years, like after uh, when, you're when he finished coaching in Ottawa and stuff, and, and he was nothing but a, a fantastic individual. He's an amazing, amazing guy. And the, some of the things that, like, you know, one game I gave up a couple of bad ones between the legs, and that used to drive all these old coaches nuts. You know, go down to Butterfly and goes in the net. Like, they'd rather have you stand up on your skates and give one up along the ice that was going zero miles an hour because it was a good goal to stood up. I never could figure that out. But anyway, so... He, he pulls me in one game and I gave up uh, two or three bad ones. And uh, next, next day brings me in. We all, we're all getting ready for practice. We're all in the circle and he he's going on. And he goes and pang great save in the third period. You really rallied your big save. That's what the game's all about. Big, big reason we won the game, which wasn't really true. It was an average save or whatever, but he made you feel better because he knew that the next sentence he was going to say, he was going to just beat the pulp out of me. And he says, I'm not going to tell you if you go down one effing time, in this practice, you won't play for a week. A week, you won't play. And he watched me all practice long, and I had to stay on my feet and stay on my feet. It taught me something about being more patient. And I think when we played, I, you know, I played three years in the minors, and my first year I was a little all over it. Second year I got better. Third year I think I was really ready to play in the NHL, and and I could tell because I never moved for the game off a stick and there was a certain patience that I just I'd gained that over the years instead of going down quick early before the puck is off the stick and then the great shooter would just pick you apart I, I became real patient and I, I'd stay right in my stance until that puck actually came right to me and 
And so that was a big part of, of Brian Kilray. But another thing about Brian, I mean, every time my sister has, has Crohn's disease and we, we've raised a ton of money in the Ottawa area over the years. And I mean, not even a hesitation. Hey, Killer, I've got it. Yeah, I'll pang. I'll be there. Ping pong, pang. I'll be there. No problem. How's Sherry doing? You know, my mother passed away in 2016. Who's in the back of the, you know, who's in the back? The killer, you know, great guy. Yeah. So how did the, um, your draft year, now you said you were, your third year getting ready for, uh, to play pro. You thought you were ready. You didn't get drafted. You ended up in Chicago. Take us through all that. Like how the year was going. You guys were having a good year. Obviously you were having a good year. You might've thought you were going to get drafted. You didn't, but you end up in Chicago. So walk us through that whole period. Nah, you know what? It was the year that the year that my first year major a, I was ranked, I think like fifth or something. And, I was doing my representation because he had Steve and, and, you know, everybody thought that I'd probably, I'd probably get drafted. I didn't get drafted that first year. I went to the draft. I sat there in the Montreal forum. And then the next year they said, you'll, you'll get drafted the next year. And I sat in the Montreal forum. I watched the first couple of rounds. And then I went to an Expos game and I, I said, yeah, you know what? It's not going to happen. So <laughs> went to an Expos game. I think it was with the Coho rep at the time and uh, came back to Ottawa and Steve and, and Danny Quinn were drafted and they came back and, they had all their new brand new Titan sticks and they were so pumped up. I was so excited for them. Uh, that's all I stayed for was to see them get drafted. And then I left, but then, you know, after I, maybe the biggest concern was going into my final year with Ottawa, the year before we lost in the conference final, we should have gone to the Memorial cup. Oshawa beat us. So we had a good team. We're be good. I tore my MCL playing summer hockey, getting ready for camp. And so I was out till December. I think it was. And so that was a really tough blow. Now I'm in my final year under, under come on, a little guy, what's going to happen? I really worked hard to get back into it. End up playing like 40, like really a lot of straight games. We went 11-0-1 to get into the Memorial Cup. We had to beat Kitchener because they were hosting it. We, we pounded them, got in the Memorial Cup, and we won the whole thing. You know, I really think the relationships between Bob Pulford, Larry Kelly, um, they, there was a lot of Blackhawk draft picks. I just, they, they did me a favor, to be honest with you. Brian Kilray pushed me like crazy, came from a single mom. You know, he always sold that that kind of story. And in fact, I got a $2,500 signing bonus. I signed this uh, two-year deal, 25, 25, 85, five in the NHL. And uh, and uh, was there any bonus? Oh, I got a $2,500 signing bonus. But I found out later on that Phil Patterson that signed this round was supposed to get $10,000. We were having dinner one night in Milwaukee, and we we're all having fun talking about our signing bonus. I said, "Yeah, I got twenty five hundred dollars." He goes, "I only got seventy five hundred. I was supposed to get ten. That's where my twenty five hundred went." So Larry <laughs> Kelly worked it out that I got twenty five hundred of his ten, and uh, I guess they t- they told Phil, "Listen, you're lucky you're even signing. I mean, you're supposed to get ten, but you haven't played very well, so you're going to get seventy five hundred. I got the twenty five hundred. <laughs> you know, um, so you go to your, you go to your first camp, and you end up in the uh, end up in the eye. How did your yeah. first camp go and take us through your first year playing pro hockey? It was my first camp was interesting. It was, um, you know, I went in there like every other young kid. I got to go to the Chicago stadium. We were driving by the projects that are right by the old stadium and there's five ambulances coming out. We're on a school bus going from the Bismarck hotel to there. And we're looking out and five dead bodies are being brought out of the, out of this projects place. And I, I literally was like, I came from Nepean, Ontario. I've never been a big city like that before. And I, I was telling the guys like what happened there and they're like yeah it's a bad area don't go walking around and so we, we go into training camp and i i thought i did okay but it was it was quite clear that really players i mean were just pounding puck by me i mean 
the Kurt, I mean, Kurt Fraser's and Al Secord's and obviously Savvy and Larms. And it was like, I got a lot to learn. I came out of that. I got a lot to learn. I battled like crazy, and, but I went down to the minors. Jim Ralph got injured. I got, I got to play 57 games my first year pro. So a lot of times people say, ah, oh, you backed up this all the time. I never backed up anywhere. Now, Squid, like I, I wasn't a backup guy. I just, I, I played 57 games my first year pro. The next year I played 65 games in, in, in the eye. The next year I played 68 games in the eye. And then my first year in the NHL, I played 50 games. And so that was my first year um, in, in Milwaukee. Um, Cliff Coral was our head coach. Um, really sad news. Um, the fellow that beat in the middle that's gotten before right there, uh, Randy Boyd, we just found out last week that Randy passed away. He was a, yes. he was a man, a big hearted, loving guy, uh, just a great teammate. It really was, it broke my heart to find out the news that, uh, that Boyd, he passed away, but this was a team with Jeff Larmer. Um, we didn't have a lot of guys, Tom McMurray. We didn't have a lot of guys that ended up in the NHL. In fact, when I look at this list right here, wow. I think it might be me. <laughs> me and Randy Boyd were the only ones from this group that ended up playing the NHL. Wow. And I, was, I, I probably wasn't supposed to be there. So it was a fun year. Milwaukee was a great city. Um, the team was used to being in the AHL, and that was the first year that several teams went to the IHL as their main affiliate to the NHL. And it was the first year that Chicago did that. And it didn't go very well. We were last place. Our players didn't respect the IHL, and we didn't play very um, it was a little bit embarrassing, to be quite honest. I think we finished last, and uh, the blue, uh, the uh, the Blackhawks after that year pulled out of uh, of Milwaukee, and I think they ended up maybe in Halifax right after that. But my next couple of years was in Saginaw of the of the IHL, and a little bit in Halifax of the American Hockey League. What highlights your first year pro? Now, even in Saginaw, was there one night where there was a brawl you got involved in when you were with that club, a barroom brawl, I believe. Yeah, there was a cup. Yeah, we were in the front page for the, all the bad reasons. Um, <laughs> four, four admirals assaulted. That was in, in Saginaw. And we had a great time. We had some great leaders. And uh, Peter Horchek was our captain. And yeah, we, we were out kind of late. We had an off day the next day. I think it was the All-Star break. And we went out to some some bar. And somebody didn't like what we were like. And they were waiting for us in the parking lot. It was an eight against four. And uh, I lost my tooth. I got I got, I got knocked out here. Peter came to get in the car and lock the door. Uh, Rene Bedeau got beat up bad. Uh, it was, you know what? It was uh, it was a bad thing because it was the first time and first time ever that I was in any kind of trouble. You know that we had to get called into the GM's office and, and explain what happened. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a tough one there, boy. That's for sure. Um, we also had a brawl that year in uh, in the game. Coach Mr. Roger and Rick Lee was coaching. Uh, former NHL Rick Lee was coaching. Uh, uh, Muskegon and uh, we got a brawl after the first period and it ended up being in the concourse. We delayed the game for an hour, 10 minutes because all our skates were dull. It was, I mean, I'm like, Oh, what are we doing? We went to get into a bus one time and, and, uh, and, and DeRoger again, he, uh, remember Mel Hewitt, Mel Hewitt and um, yeah. another couple of guys were his good buddies. And we're getting on the bus to go to Fort Wayne or somewhere like that. And we're, you know, we got a couple of cold pilsners in the back and we're ready to get on a, a bus ride of eight hours or whatever it's going to be. And, and sh sure enough, uh, he gets in a fight. Our coach gets in a fight with two of our players, gets them off the bus. They fight in the, as we're about to leave, 
And then he gets on the bus and he takes their equipment out, throws it out there. And we played a game without two players because he got in a fight with our two players. I mean, like, what, what am I doing? You know? So, but good times, good friends. Um, a lot of friendships along the way. A lot of guys stayed in the NHL. Um, a lot of guys that, you know, along the way you get to see and go, Oh my God, do you remember that? And that was all, it's all good. All part of the process, I think. It's great. It was quite a, uh, I mean, the game, the game was full of characters back then, obviously. And uh, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I mean, even though not everything was perfect and not everything was great, not everything was done properly, uh, but the characters in the game for me, I, I thought it was great because uh, I don't think you see that as much today as you did back then uh, where players show their characteristics uh, openly. Uh, now they're kind of guarded and quiet. Now I get it. I mean, because of social media and everything else, but at the same time, we did have a lot of really funny guys back in the day that loved the game, loved to have fun. And uh, those are, those were times that I'll never forget. I agree with you. I, I remember squid one time we were stuck, uh, Mike, we were stuck in the air airport. I think it we played on Christmas. It was like a, December 23rd game or yeah 23rd game in St. Louis 26th game at home or vice versa and we got caught I believe we got caught snow we were so we were stuck in the airport in St. Louis for hours with squid it, it was it, it was like five or six or seven hours and snow's coming down and uh and so squid's got the fishing line and he's got the cut off hundred dollar bill and we're hiding behind plants. He's got the he's got the bill going out there, and he's and we are laughing so hard. And I mean, now it would, it would be a great it'd be on you know like it'd be on TikTok and Twitter and whatever. Yeah. Um. And I'm sure that these stories are, but I think it was cool because there wasn't anything like that. Nobody took pictures, but I still remember it to this day how funny it was, and the people that bid on it was just too hilarious. So it, it made a four hour or five hour layover, even though we, we're dying to get home for Christmas. We our families geez we laughed our ass off so and then and then how many times because we we traveled commercial do we have the money on the first luggage hey who's got we got five on the first luggage there you know and whoever's <laughs> luggage came out first you're like that's mine <laughs> and everyone's got to pay a dollar bill or five dollars <laughs> or whatever it might have been so now speaking I mean, of which getting tiring, here, but we got used to it oh, 1987 you finally stick so let's get to that part uh Take us through how that all happened. You're getting a little frustrated after three years in the minors, and then finally you get your shot and you make it. Well, that first year that I played pro, I got I played one game. And a funny story is, I mean, I just turned 21, so I played in Minnesota. I gave up a goal against on my first shot. Now, Kurt Giles scored the goal, a goal scorer. So sorry, Kurt. Um, but uh, I ended up. Um, you know, losing the game four to one, going back to the minors. And that's the point where I said, I, I got to get a lot better. Like I got to get stronger. I got to work harder. I push. I found that my, I, in junior, you could, you know, a little half push was okay, but here it's a powerful push. You got to get from side to side real quick. So, so then I never got another chance. I was in training camp and I, I played preseason games. I always played Edmonton in preseason games and played well. And then that year that I, I did make it in 87, the year that we traded for, for squid and stump and big daddy, um, that what bothers me is that I got chances early, um, and I didn't play well. I like, I was getting it. I thought I was getting every chance and, and I, I, 
I gave up seven in Madison Square Garden. I gave up six in Washington. Uh, it was bugging me to no end that that why why was I not able to perform? Why was I kind of choking on the bit? And and then I came back home and Wayne Thomas was our goalie coach and he really settled me down and he really prepared me well. And I got my first win against against um, Winnipeg. And it was a big win because they had a lot of shots and you know, I, I felt it was at home. And this is what Squid was talking about at home. Bob Mason started the very first game we played that year at home. And I think he gave up seven or eight to Toronto. And it was a just a shellac. And, you know, then he didn't want, he literally did not want to play at home. Like he was really rattled by it. So he would, after practice, he'd say, hey, did they tell you you're playing? And I'd say, yeah, I'm playing tonight at home. And he'd be like, I could see. He'd be like, oh, good. Like it, it really took its toll on, on Mason. Now he'd go on the road and play great, but he just, couldn't play at home. Like I think the Chicago stadium and squid, you can back me up on this or, or, or we can discuss it, but it's a small, small rink. It's a rink for flamboyant yeah. athletes. It's a rink for maybe a bruising four checker, a fighter. It's, it's made for somehow savvy was able to master that little rink, but for a goalie pucks always ended up on net, no matter where they were. And so pushed one aside the fans go crazy another one comes in you push it aside the fans go crazy and you can gain momentum there and i i was able to gain momentum whether it be a flashy glove save or you know little guy i think they might have liked the, a little guy on huh? squid that uh that tried hard and maybe beat the odds a little bit and, and so it you know it was my comfortable place but in saying all that there was a lot of pressure playing at home and i threw up before every game and 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 i don't know if i could have played 10 years uh, in the NHL, I really, I, I had a hard time eating during the day. I had a, when I got to the rink and I was playing, I was like, it was, I could feel my food just go whoomp. And then I'd go throw up. Bob McGill would be putting back on his face because he's about, because he's got to fight kosher and pro. I'd be throwing up on the side. He's putting Vaseline up. He'd wait for me. Then he'd pat me on the back and he'd say, Spank's ready to go. Because uh, my nickname was Mike was Spank. And uh, Spank's ready to go. And I'm like, Big Daddy's ready to go. And I'd be like this, like, oh, God, you know. Throwing up like that was just oh, it's crazy. I, I don't think I would have lasted 10 years. I'll say that. Well, I know the fans love you in Chicago. And, and I think probably one of the reasons was Bob Mason was a big signing. I mean, you know, he took Washington, to, I think, to the semifinals or whatever the year before. And a lot was expected of him. And then when he got off to a pretty bad start at home uh, early in the season, then that's when – Panger came in and took yeah. over, and you were the home goalie. He was a road goalie. Yeah, yeah, and it was fun because I we mean, were good buddies. We 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 roomed together on the road. We went all the time. We'd sit there and have a. We were like a date date couple. We'd have a nice bottle of wine. We'd have a nice meal somewhere, and we, you know, he was very quiet, but we both liked golf, and I talked all the time. So it was a it was a good relationship. It was very good. Well, it <laughs> he made lots of money. I made none. It worked out well for you the first year. You finished as a finest rookie of the year, losing to a guy I think had a couple years in the league, Joe Newendike. So he kind of did a few things after that. But besides that, any other memorable moments from your first year playing in the NHL? Either on the rink Um, or off the rink. You know what? Actually, um, a lot lot of moments, but I think I went through a January where um, I, I once, like, or we, but I was in the net, seven in a row. And, uh, it got me. It got me a, a rookie of the month um, award from from the NHL, which I thought that kind of put you on. That puts you on the map, you know. When there's that release and yeah. you 
and and you you get something like that. And um, I had uh, a chance to make it eight in a row, which would have broken or I think would have broken or tied the all time record set by Tony Esposito. And uh, sure enough, we're going to Pittsburgh where the high flying Lemieux and the Penguins were rolling. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, honestly, is this the one game? Is this the game? Are they going to put me in here? Are they going to put Mason? And at the last minute, they changed up. They put me in that game uh, and which Tony Esposito was actually an assistant general manager with Pittsburgh at the time. So he was there and uh, we lost the game three to two. It was a really good game and a close game. But that was it. So seven in a row was uh, the mark that I had. Um, I, there, you know what? There's a, there's a, there's so many moments. I mean, our, I, I just yeah. had so much fun. My, my wife Lynn and I just got married, so we didn't live in the suburbs. Like, like Squid and everybody lived out in Wheaton. And the next year, I bought a place out in Wheaton. And I think my buddy, I think Wayne Presley, bought Squid's house there when Squid got traded on Hampton, right? Squid. Well, that that's a good story yeah, right. because, yeah, I got I bought that house and I bought it for three hundred and thirty three. And I probably put about 70 into it, putting a big fence around the yard and, you know, the landscaping and everything. So I get traded. And Elvis and I, Wayne Presley, we used to drive in together all, all the time because he was living in another part of Wheaton. Anyway, he said, we knew I was going to get traded. It was just a matter of where and when. He said, when you get traded, he said, are you going to sell your house? I go, absolutely. He said, well, give me a call first. So, and remember his wife's parents, I think, won money in the lottery in Michigan, I think, that year. That's right. So I call him and I said, okay, I'll give it to you for three fifty-five. And he goes, well, no, I, I can't afford that right now. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, the taxes doubled in our area right after Christmas, New Year's. So about 25 to 30 houses went up for sale in our our area. And I, I sat on that house for nine months. Finally, I got an offer, but it was contingent on that gentleman selling his house. 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from uh, Pressler. He says, I know you got an offer. I'll give you 5,000 more than he offered. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell does he know that? Well, his real estate agent worked in the same office as ours. So he was monitoring <laughs> this the whole time. So I he ended up paying 360 instead of 355. And uh, I said, yeah, it's yours. But then he got traded to Buffalo where he kind of took my job. And, uh, and then I think it took him about two years to sell it. So, so it's, Karma, karma's a bitch. <laughs> well, Panger, after your first year, finalist of Rookie of the Year, a guy by the name of Mike Keenan shows up. How did that change life for you? And by the way, his name comes up a lot in this podcast. Yeah. Um, I thought I was duped a little bit. Uh, he met up with me in the, you know, in, in uh, Montreal when they had the All Rookie uh, Team Awards and and. Uh, wrote me this letter, real, you know, one of those real gregarious letters and sold me a bit of bill of goods and then got to training camp and there was not a chance in the world. I mean, the first thing I played for him was he waited till Hockey Night in Canada, Saturday night, third period, uh, you know, close game, 
um, bad coaching. Actually, we were it was a five on three against the. It was a one goal game, and he 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 pulls me. Jimmy Waite, he was 19 years old, and uh, Jimmy Waite goes to go in the net, and he forgot his goalie sticks were in the locker room. That was a good start for him. And and old Jimmy Waite, uh, <laughs> so we waited, waited, and then the, uh, the Zamboni doors had to open because that's where we skated through. And so the trainer comes running out, gives him the stick, and uh, he gives up a goal right away. So now it's a two-goal deficit. He throws me right back in, and period goes on. I might have given up one more. We lost the game 5-3, to three, but he pulled me again. And then after the game, the first thing he said to everybody, which of course it's in Canada, so it's a it's just a big stell job. And it, he basically said, uh, "We got a goalie problem." It was it was the second game of the season. We got a goalie problem, and of course, when a guy like Mike says that, I mean it's all over the place, and you you can't you can't put out that fire. So it was just playing. Better. You know, it was a. I always thought coaching was you had the the position to to bring the best out of people. You're supposed to coach people. You're supposed to get whatever you have and and make them better. And I just never found that uh, the, the strategy that he like in Corbett, it, it just, it works for some, I'm sure it does, you know, and some it doesn't work for. So that was disappointing to me that I love the game so much. And he, he, he really did suck the life out of the game for me. And that made it really miserable. So that, that's, that's probably it there. I still battled though. I, I, I came back from a couple of injuries. Um, I played with it. I played with a hamstring injury that was very severe. I was taped from my heel to my thigh. Um, and and I still played because they needed me because guys got hurt and we got a couple of ties and a couple of wins in there and we ended up making the playoffs that year. So I battled, you know, I just I just wasn't the same goaltender. I didn't have the same confidence um, because I certainly wasn't backed up by the coach. So um, that, that's a shame. And then I ended up tearing yeah. my ACL in the playoffs. I came back next year, uh, went down to the eye, uh, rehabbed it and um, ended up um, doing well. But I came back and I was training getting ready for camp and I tore my ACL again. So I retired and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got right into broadcasting at the age of 27. I got hired by ESPN at 29. And then I was, you know, then this career has been a real career. The other one was a short lived one. Well, that, yeah, I mean, can you add to that script? I mean, obviously the, 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 the name comes well, up. Well, Mike Keenan had an effect on a lot of guys in their careers, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I mean, I remember, I mean, I came in and scored 43 goals, played with Larmer and Savard. All of us had over 40 goals. And then all of a sudden, Mike comes in the next year. Now, what you got to remember, too, that Bob Murdoch was our coach. Pretty quiet guy, you know, would sit down and talk to you and was pretty quiet. Well, Al Eagleson, who was Keenan's agent, who was Buddy's with worse, calls Polford and says, listen, Keenan just got fired in Philly. If you don't sign him, you your your uh, rival down the road in St. Louis are going to sign him. Well, they panicked. They signed him. Murdoch had to find out from the press. Anyway, coming into that season, all of a sudden I couldn't play. And uh, I went to Mike after a little while. I said, Mike, look, why don't you give me an opportunity? Like, give me five, six games. Let me play regular shift, power play. I can still play, and I can help this hockey team. So we go on a road trip. We're going to Edmonton, Calgary. We go to Edmonton. We win the game. I had, a, I think, a goal and two assists or two goals and an assist. We're in the airport, get, catching a flight to Calgary. He comes up and says, great game. The next game, Saturday night in Calgary, 
they go to the coach first, and then they go to the player for an interview between periods. So they came to me, so I figured they must have came to Mike and uh, said, can you come in for an interview between periods after the first period? I said, sure. So I went out on the bench. We played the first period. I got one shift. That was it. So I came in, threw my stick and gloves in the room. I turn around, and the guy's there with a towel and the water. And then Mike Keenan walks up. He goes, where are you going? I said, well, I got to do the interview. He goes, turns to the guy with the towel. He says, let me get you someone who wants to play this game, not this floater. And, I mean, I'm standing, and Mike is, like, literally right there. And I'm like, do I grab him? Do I punch him? Like, what do I do? Like, it's just – anyway, that was, that was the end. Uh, I got traded shortly after that. And uh, so he wasn't a guy that would, as Pagger said, he, he wasn't a guy that would back guys up. Like Doug Wilson, I mean, he, he was all over Doug Wilson that year too, you know, calling him a chicken shit and everything else. He, like right in front of the team, that's the thing. Like he would do these things in front of the, your teammates. And that was frustrating. Well, Yes, and you can see that that that, that comment does come up quite a bit. Now, Panger, obviously, it opened the door for you to this uh, world of media you've been in for the last 30 years. And, uh, you know, obviously, a great career you've had on that end. You've had the pleasure of working three Olympic Games, dozens of Stanley Cup finals. What I want to ask you was, first, and you were the first analyst, by the way, at an Olympic game allowed between the benches. Uh, so a lot of breakthroughs for you in that part of your career. What? was kind of the difference between an Olympic game final gold medal game versus a Stanley cup final, as far as the vibe of the crowd and the players and the way they reacted or just, was there any sort of, is there a difference that you can put your finger on after all you've worked? Mm, well, I, never, I mean, I never grew up being an Olympic hockey fan to be quite honest with you, just the way we were um, just drive to about playing in the NHL. So when I got that chance in Nagano, I was pretty old how impressive it was to see NHL players come out in their country's sweaters. And I mean, first, I mean, I was, you're right. I was between the benches. There was no glass. Uh, John Shannon was the world producer. Uh, one person got that NB, uh, C, uh, CBS is who I worked for. And they, they gave it, they put me there between the benches. I got to see stuff that no one else could see because you weren't just allowed like a regular hockey uh, NHL game to go around a locker room. So it was really unique. <laughs> and, and just watching Patrick Wall come out first and then Rob Blake and Ray Bork and Al McGinnis and then it went to the forwards and <laughs> just went, you know, uh, obviously Gretz and Iserman and Sackick and Shani. And it was just like, whoa. And so it was the nervousness about that was much like the football game we're talking about is the nervousness was certainly the fact that it's a, a one game elimination with a shootout. Like, I thought that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen, you know, between the Czech Republic and Canada, but that's the <laughs> yes. way it was. And, you know, and there, there's an interview with Shani right there. Shani was one of the guys that shot. I think he was the last guy, too, of the five to shoot against Hoshik. Nobody could beat him. Game over. I mean, they literally, Team Canada played great, gave up very little, lost one game in a shootout, and were basically done. You know, they didn't come to the next game against Finland, taking a bronze medal. They were checking out. They didn't win a gold which is a shame um, because they represented themselves really well. But, okay, so I go back to that. A game, you know, a playoff series of the Stanley Cup final, game one, game two, game three, you switch cities. You, 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 there's a crescendo of, 
of of characters being built up. There's a there's um there's battles being drawn. There's goalies that's standing on their head. Maybe one guy's strong. Where's the going to be? So, um, I think, you know, I, I I prefer a seven game playoff series than I do an Olympic gold medal. Um, but I've I really enjoyed. I enjoyed being in 2002. I was working with NBC in Canada. So I got to, again, be with my best buddy, Stevie, in the locker room afterwards and having a cold beer with him. And then in 2010, he was the GM. I got to work for CTV and TSN. So I was there. Got to go afterwards with him after another gold medal. So th those are the moments for me that I kind of cherish more as I get older. I'm um, being with Steve when he won in 97, 98 and 02. I was there. I was again on ESPN and ABC broadcasting and, and uh enjoying and celebrating so if i couldn't win i wanted to be with uh, my buddies that could win and luckily i was oh that's fantastic i mean uh you know it's funny i i don't get that many of the u.s games but i have gotten a few over the years of some st louis games obviously and i gotta say i you know you were a good friend and a, a great teammate you're probably even a better broadcaster and, and color guy than because you, you know the game and, and uh, you do a great job calling the game and throwing things in there that I don't hear other people talk about that are very important. And I, I you know, I think you do a hell of a job, Peggy. Squid, thank you, bud. I, I really do appreciate that. I think when you hear it from guys that have been around the game a long time and we're all critical, we're all emotional, we all watch games, I can be watching tennis or golf or football or baseball and listen to somebody and go, mm, or I listen to somebody and go, whoa, what a great call. Like Tony Romo uh, making the call when uh, Kelsey off the line, they got to throw it up yeah. the middle. They got to throw yeah. it quick, bang, yeah. up the middle and quick. I'm like, that's, that's what we're looking for is, is, you know, not just the cliched answers of what just happened. You got to tell people what's going to happen and sometimes you're going to be dead wrong, but you know, you got to live with it. That's, that's what being an analyst is all about. So I appreciate so let's that. Take it, in let's fact, take it I might have to, I might have to get running here. I got a game tonight. So, uh, Oh, you do have a game. Might, okay. Uh, so, okay. Glenn, let's, let's, let, before we let Penger go, uh, let's, let's pull up. We're going to do identify that photo. Okay. <laughs> so this, we're going to do before we let you go. We got a few here. You want to show you. Um, that, that, that was Halloween. And uh, I've got the bad chicklets. I put, the, I've got the fake ones on there. Jake Allen couldn't even look at me. Um, he was laughing so hard. I was laughing so hard. Um, I would often go on the team plane and, uh, and have the, the mullet and the, and the bad teeth and serve wine or something to, to people and make them laugh. And so I, uh, geez, I, yeah, I'm, I'm 58 years old and in a little bit of time and I'm still loving my, my fake mullets. <laughs> Next. That was uh well that was a special moment the um the Stanley Cup um obviously winning it I'm gonna I'm gonna grab something here for you um I never thought in a million years that that winning uh or being part of a team that won Stanley Cup um would would be so thrilling you know because you all you just want to you know win it as a player but you know the the Blues I went and got this year sorry I left there a second but the Blues yeah uh ownership and management team like they gave us broadcasters the exact same rings as the as the players which honestly i, I don't quite understand that i'm thankful for it um but i think the players uh, should get something we you know way different than what i get but i i just i'm forever thankful that they that they treated us that way and we had a chance to be on a you know with our families uh going down the parade on market street and and being a part of it so that was a really Next, neat moment uh, she told me in the room i didn't even go in the room 
Um, this is another one. This was that year they were struggling and we had a fundraiser and it was for the Oscars. And I decided to, um, well, my wife actually did. She bought everything. Um, she bought the paint that she got me set up. She thought it would be very funny if I just, I if I that. actually went as the Oscar and uh, the players were laughing so hard and all night long, it was like, you know, that was kind of a, a funny rallying thing. And that, that was not that that's the, why the blues won the Stanley cup, but it sure was a fun moment for all of them. And even Vladdy Tarasenko and Ivan Barbashev, and uh, the players couldn't believe it. The wives couldn't believe it. And I was a little embarrassed walking in there, but it all ended up being a really fun night. Um, this is a this was this year at TNT. Uh, we did rehearsals and we had meetings, and they put me in um, in Shaquille O'Neal's um, wardrobe room, and so I decided I'd probably throw on a a couple of Shaq's um, suits and um, his size. I think his his shoes were size twenty seven or twenty five, something like that. And so uh, I anyway I threw that on there, and I that. I think that's a very funny one right there. That's that's a big man. Oh, man. That's a very big man. Um, it's a commercial that we're just doing. We uh, car, it's a Car Shield commercial. Uh, Ryan Riley and uh, Pat Maroon. And so we uh, we've actually we just did another one that's going to be playing in, during the Super Bowl. Um, so that that's been a fun ride. Car Shield is actually a local St. Louis company. They support a AAA hockey team called Car Shield AAA. Um, so they're they're big into hockey. They're big supporters uh, here in St. Louis. So I was I was glad to be part of this one. Oh, that's a cool one. Oh boy, we were in uh, Boston, um, and in fact, uh, we played Buffalo the night before. We came in. Um, Jake Allen is I think it was Jake. No, Brian Elliott. Sorry, he's on the right hand side. He's face. He's right beside John Travolta. Travolta was sitting alone, um, and we ended up. Uh, the boys wanted a picture, so I went over and asked John if they could, if the guys could come over and take a picture. And he said, "I'll go over there." And he sat, he stood with us and had a couple of cocktails for about a half an hour. And we just, we really enjoyed that. Uh, that was a, that was a really cool moment there, but being with John Travolta, and our, our guys were pretty excited about that. And this one was Squid. You got to You can't get off easy here. You got to deal with this one. <laughs> that's that's Squid right there, man. That's Squid yeah, with that's the nose. I love it. Yeah. Not getting off. Well, I had the beer going there. I think it was in the middle of winter. We had a, a, a table hockey uh, tournament down at, uh, oh, God, another goalie. Uh, what's his Did name? Go, uh, no, but his, his thing, but the guy who owns a bar down there, um, right down there, the. Uh, oh, at the uh, bottom the line. The bottom line. The bottom line. Uh, and he was a former goalie. Uh, Gosh, my, his Medical. name is just not coming to me. But anyway, we did that. So I, That's I don't good. know why I put that on, but I put it on to get a few chuckles out of some people, and I did. <laughs> well, listen, now, Peng, you know you got to go to work tonight. We don't want to be in. We be responsible for keep making you late for your job. So we <laughs> yeah. can't thank you enough yeah. for joining us today. And uh, listen, uh, all the best moving forward, and we'll be watching. Mike, thanks you for uh, for having me. You were well prepared for this. You had a lot more than I ever imagined. And, and Squid, glad to have you. Everything's going well with, for you, pal. Bangers, you take care, buddy.